This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, so I like this idea of a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, exploring ruins. I like discovering lost tech. Cool, cool. All right, cool. I got an idea for a bad guy. Let me run it past you. Uh, I'm thinking like a fanatical nihilist who um, believes that forced atomic evolution is the destiny of mankind. Forced atomic evolution? Mm-hmm. And then I want to set off a bunch of nuclear bombs? Yes. Um, but like... But not because, like, just because he, like, because he's trying to help mankind, right? Um, but also, he's going to have like an army of fanatical followers, um, like that are already mutated. Uh, plus, there'll be like some scavenge tech, um, and you know, like a grand plan to like completely nuke everything. But where is he going to get the nukes? Are there any left this many centuries after the big drop? Ah, okay. So there, right? Like that's the campaign. Like he's going to find out about a secret stash. I'm not going to reveal all that now, but you're going to have some information about it too. Um, or at least like uh, somebody who knows about it to kind of get you started uh, on that path. All right. So it's going to be like our mutant heroes exploring ruins, scavenging tech and trying to stop a maniacal world or destroying all life on Earth. Cool. Cool. I love high stakes games with big objectives and larger than life enemies. Exactly. Right. Like it'll be post-apocalyptic, but epic. Excellent. And with that, welcome to the 454th episode of the Mr. Richter Mark podcast. Tonight, we talk about running epic campaigns in your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your questions, comments, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. Uh, my name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome to the show. It's another Tuesday night. And it's time for us to do our temperature check, see how everybody's feeling, because that's the way we do things right now. Phil, you have a mouthful of coffee, so I'm going to go to you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, cool. Uh, so this one is new for me, but not new for um, people who are into video games. But uh, my thing this week has it's been... It's not the one thing, um, Phil. This is the temperature no. check. Temperature oh, I'm how sorry. Temperature feeling? check. How are you feeling? Sorry, sorry. I'm out of, I'm out of sequence. <laughs> I'm right. fine. Uh, I'm drinking coffee because I was a little sleepy. Apparently, it hasn't kicked in yet. <laughs> Physically fine. Um, mentally, I'm doing well. Other than I should have napped sometime today, and I didn't. So uh, I'm lo- I'm caffeine loading as we speak. How about you, Bob? Yeah, I um, uh, mentally um, not too bad. Pretty, you know, chugging along pretty even. Um, physically, I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little. Uh, what's the best word for it? Um, I ate um, too much at dinner. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. Overindulged? I overindulged. Thank you. I overindulged. What, what did you dinner. overindulge upon, if um, I may ask? The um, the new cheese dip from Domino's. I got a pizza and some garlic twists, and I said, "Let's try their new cheese dip. Um, it's good, but one person should not eat two thirds of the entire thing of dip in one sitting." Oh no! That's not a good idea. Um, so I'm like cheesed out right now. Not as bad as cheese curds, but you know. uh, too much cheese, <laughs> a bit more cheese, a bit more cheese. <laughs> Habamango. All right. Oh, yes. 
Moving on to Jerry. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little sleepy today, but I uh, just pounded a Mountain Dew rise, so I should be pretty good for the rest of the evening. Um, just the weather has been, I'm feeling good, but the weather, whenever we get these changes like this, with my allergies and sinuses, I'll all of a sudden get like in the middle of the day and all of a sudden I'm like, and I'll be back again once I get some energy in me. So I'm feeling good. I'm all set to go. Ready for a new week. Awesome. 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 All right, then we'll jump into the one thing. I would like to say um, I am, um, I have had the pleasure of seeing the season two, two part finale paintball episode of Community. And the, the people behind Community, the Russos and Dan Harmon and whoever else they had in the writing room, um, their work on those paintball episodes has just been glorious. It's all, glorious is the only word I have for it. Um, this particular one, their homages to the Westerns, um, just, it, this stuff is a lot of fun. Good times. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what they do uh, in season three, if they do another one. I'm hoping they continue, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. But good stuff, good stuff, and uh and that will be that'll be enough for me. I don't want to I don't want to drag that out. So Jerry, well, uh, last night after a long wait, the Hell of a Boss season finale part one came down. This is a an online semi musical uh, animated series about um, a group of murder professionals in hell, and um, it is full of every episode is full of complicated relationships and hate fucking and everything else like that. And this episode was just a beautiful gut punch. Um, there are several relationships, one between a happily married couple and one be, and one with the uh, main character and um, one of the Lords of Hell. And it was just, it's, it's a ridiculous show. It's a spinoff of um, Has Been Hotel, which I've talked about before. But uh, the problem is that it, it only, there's no release schedule. It'll be like we've got three episodes and then six months later you get an episode and then two months later you get two episodes and then another month later you'll get we're going to do an episode and then six months later you get another episode this is the finale part one and it ends with a cliffhanger and a major emotional gut punch that was just beautiful and lovely if you like messy relationships this show is a, is like that but it's definitely definitely not for children um and possibly not even for adults but it's still fun but it's on YouTube. You can find it. It's called Hell of a Boss. And they've done seven episodes so far. So I was just tickled pink. It dropped kind of out of the blue. They've been talking about maybe doing something. And all of a sudden they said, oh, it's out now. And everybody went and watched it. So, all right. That's it for me. Phil, as now what saying, did you do? Yes. As <laughs> I was saying while I was, you know, while I was in the wrong segment, um, I've been playing um, Horizon Zero Dawn, which is an unbelievable video game. Uh, I love this game so much. Uh, it's a, it's it's fantastic. It's sand, you know, it's a sandbox, um, sandboxy world. Um, it's beautiful looking. The graphics are amazing. Um, I really dig the gameplay. Um, it is very much um, it is very much uh, my jam of gameplay, uh, and I've had a lot of fun uh, playing it. I also like, and I haven't used it yet, but I it, it's in there, and I think it's really cool is that you can pause the game and change the set, like change the difficulty level. Mm. Like you don't have to like commit on day one and be like, I think I'll play this game, you know, like average or, you know, like normal. And then like you get your ass kicked and you don't have fun. 
like you can just go and be like you can just pause it and be like uh, i'm gonna move it down to story mode or i can move it up but like i've i've just had it at normal at this point but i just appreciate a game that's like look if you're not enjoying the combat aspects of this game switch it down into story mode and just like go exploring and like play out the story that feels like a thing i happen be i happen to like the combat in this game um a lot <laughs> So I'm having fun playing it just on normal. I don't feel like I would turn it up for any reason. Yeah. Um, but it's like a lot of stealth hunting kind of stuff. Well, that's always fun. So it's pretty cool. And it's, you know, the game's relatively smart. Uh, it is dangerous, dangerous enough that sometimes your best option is just run. Like I got myself into a thing where I was like, well, I could take this thing down. And then like three more of them came around the corner as I was killing the first one. And I was like, I better just run like away now um but it's fun i'm having a lot of fun with it i'm actually very um very happy i picked up glenn's um ps4 and took everybody's advice as soon as i bought a ps4 everybody was like you need to get horizon zero done so a big old check on that cool that's me uh babo yeah we got a we got an announcement right we have an announcement first one in a little while let me uh let me hit the thing and put it up on the screen there is a Kickstarter going on right now from our friends at Wayward Masquerade who brought us the Dragon Baggin and the uh, the Bag Thulu. Uh, these are Pride Dragon Baggins. It is a series of special, uh, uh, specially designed Dragon Baggins. Uh, there is an ace, a bi, a trans, and a lesbian bag. Um, they're super gorgeous, very fun-looking um, the craftsmanship is amazing on these things. Um, and of course they're dice bags, so they'll hold like a hundred of your dice. Um, Kickstarter is going on for 13 more days. So by the time you hear this episode, if you're not watching it live, um, there will be, um, just under a week to go. Um, uh, these things, like I said, they're gorgeous. They're well-crafted. Uh, if you need a dice bag, you want to throw a little, uh, little something towards the LGBTQ community, uh, that kind of thing. Um, these are, these are great. Um, check this thing out. Um, they're at, uh, they're 21,000 and change out of 32,000 for their goal for 13 days to go. So I think they're in good shape. Um, but yeah, pride dragon baggins from wayward masquerade. Uh, and I think, and, and I think we started. can say, cause we've, we've had a couple of the dragon baggins, um, here in the studio. Um, they are really nice. Like yeah, construction yeah. wise, uh, volume, quality of fabric, like they are nice. These uh, are some of the nicest. Bought, yeah. I backed one last time. They were very, very good bags. Yeah. Well, very well put together. Plus new color schemes for pride. So go check them out. Yes. All right. Well, that will bring us to our feature segment, which Phil, if you will gird yourself. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> I mean, the topic alone makes me, um, <laughs> yeah. okay. All right. It's go time. Boom. Workshop, workshop. Tonight we are going epic. Bigger stakes, bigger challenges. The world hangs in the balance. Everything tonight in the workshop is going to be epic. And it won't suck. I feel like I just cut a promo as like the uh, <laughs> ultimate warrior or something. Like just, I feel like that was like less the workshop and more like, like a, like a wrestling promo. This, this match is, this match tonight is going to be epic. You, you kind of match you've never seen. 
<laughs> the world will shake as I body slam my opponent. I'm just saying. Oh, so if we yeah. want to play some, uh, if we want to play some uh, worldwide wrestling later, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> Probably should get started with the segment. Sorry. That's okay. All right. So last week uh, we talked about the framework that we had for the chosen one uh, in a style for the campaign or as a story arc itself. This week, we're going to talk about another related framework and one that you can do as a GM alone or in combination with the chosen one. And that is the epic arc. We're going to take a look at what makes something an epic, what the appeal is, what the pitfalls are you can have, and basically how we think you can help to run one better. All right. And of course, to do that, we need uh, Definition Panda to, uh, to get this thing started for us. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. And thanks again to Todd Crapper for the epic bumper. Yes, ep- the ep- epic. I see what you did there. All right. Got to get started tonight with, of course, the key word of the evening. We've said it a dozen times already. Epic. Um, I pulled out a few different definitions, uh, a long book, movie, etc., that usually tells a story about exciting events or adventures. Um, that's okay. Here's, uh, here's the word epic as an adjective, extending beyond the usual or ordinary, especially in size and scope. It's also not too bad. But I, and I didn't find one that I really loved. Um, they actually, all the other um, dictionary definitions start hitting really ho- like close to like Greek literature and stuff. So I was like, we, we, need, we need to kind of make one tonight. So I'm going to just take the two that we have and um, I'm just going to kind of uh, blend them up. And let's just try this as a definition, right? A long story arc or campaign structure that tells a story about exciting events or adventures that is beyond the usual or ordinary in size and scope. What do you think? Good. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm going to tease a few pieces out of that just to like clear up our definition, right? Long story arc or campaign. Look, you can do an epic as a one shot, but it's really, it's not the same. Right. Like um, you can do it as a one shot. It's perfectly fine. You can have an epic one shot um, adventure. But really, I think that the epic lends itself to a longer form play. Right. So like a long story arc or a campaign structure Um, beyond the usual um, or ordinary in size and scope. There are lots of adventures in games, but for one to be epic, it has to really be big. Right. Has to have high stakes. For example, if you're just like raiding a dungeon to go get some treasure, that's not really epic. But if you're raiding a dungeon to stop the Insidious Dragon from opening a portal to the Dead Realm of Pain in order to inflict endless pain on the entire world, that's epic. There we go. Right. Which brings us to our second word, because this is going to come up later tonight. Stakes. Um, Textbook definition and interest or share in in an undertaking or enterprise. Right. Stakes are the things in games that can be won or lost depending on the outcome um, of an event. So in our epic example above with the Obsidian Dragon, the stakes are um, inflicting endless pain on the world. Yeah. I mean, if the dragon's defeated, then the world is spared from endless pain. But if the dragon wins, then everybody suffers. Yeah. All right. So there are plenty of epic stories in popular media, right? There's no shortage of these. Um, We're just going to run through some favorites. All right. First, uh, Star Wars. Uh, Any of the movies that have the planet killer device 
those are going to be epic. They're trying to save planets from being destroyed. <laughs> There's like four of them, right? I think is yeah. <laughs> right. New Hope, Jedi. Say, like, oh look, um, another planet killer. <sighs> the yeah. Star Killer, and then let's just stick a Star Killer on every Star Destroyer, right? Yeah. It's the same, like same stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the okay. Lord of the Rings, as opposed to the Hobbit. Lord of the Correct. Rings is epic. Uh, for um, for us in the um, in the older age bracket. Uh, Willow, yes, that's a very much that, so. Yep. And if you're younger and haven't seen Willow, you should just go watch that. Like, good yeah. time. Okay, keep going. Um, Ghostbusters, trying to stop Gozer from destroying the world. There you go. That's uh, like a most, silly epic, but it's yeah, still an epic. It still has epic yeah. stakes. Yep. Yep. Uh, most of the Avengers movies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Secret Wars, the 1980s Secret Wars. I guess the other one probably is too, but the original Secret Wars is very epic in stakes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Dune. Oh. Very into the movie. Basically, they're trying to control space travel for the entire universe. So that works. I think that counts. Uh, the yep. original Dragonlance trilogy. Oh, very much so. If you haven't read that, because uh, you're super, super young, it's it's a fun read. I think it was in sixth or seventh grade when I start when I read that. Uh, next one. Uh, which is another which which uh, you should you could potentially read or soon you'll be able to watch uh, the Wheel of Time. Yep, um, I would say for role playing games, any of the early Pathfinder adventure paths like Rise of the Rune Lords, Second Darkness, Legacy of Fire, Rise of the Rune Lords. If you fail, the Rune Lords come back and take over the the known world. In Legacy of Fire, if you fail, all of the siblings of the Tarask come back. And in Second Darkness, if you fail. The drow drop a continent-sized uh, meteor onto the surface world, destroy the the surface world. Um, the Tarask so has those... siblings. Oh yeah, and they're all really interesting. <laughs> that reminds they're... me. Somebody at one point was like, "Planet of the Tarasks," and I was like, "Oh damn!" <laughs> yeah, that's the one cool thing about the early adventure paths was that uh, book six always had. What if the heroes lose and you want to run the next campaign? What is it going to look like? And they do a whole like six page chapter on like what happens if the rune lords win? What's the world look like after the drow drop the it's which I that's a that's another I'm just, I'm really yeah, we'll, we'll talk about anyway. that later in the episode. Um, apparently, but, uh, Lost Kingdoms, the Lost Kingdoms campaign arc for Al Qadim. I am not familiar yes. with it, but it's on the list, so it must be epic. Yes. I think it's in Jerry's basement. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Everything eventually. is in Jerry's basement. It's 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 another it's another uh ancient uh powerful, super powerful level twenty magic to level twenty cleric demigoddess is gonna come back and you've gotta get all these things together to stop her before she comes back. Oh that's Man, we're going to, boy, is that like everything we're going to talk about tonight? Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. That's why I put it there. Yep. <laughs> um, Mass Effect, the alien race invasion um, or Fallout 3, clean water for everyone. Those are epic. Yep. And and lastly, Metalocalypse. Literally, the, 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 the fate of the world rests on the abilities of, of five heavy metal players who are literally trying to do everything epic. They even mentioned it several times. They're trying to stop basically the rise of evil in the world. Hmm. So, All right. There you go. With music. With music. Yes. Because that's how you yeah. do cool. it. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got our baseline. Jerry, take us through the structure of the epic. All right. So basically, 
the epic's not going to be unlike most adventures in the basic overall structure. Uh, we're going to use Freytag's pyramid to define the overall structure. So there's going to be some sort of inciting incident. Then you're going to have rising actions, so there's multiple rising actions. Finally, a climax, and then a denouement. And the structure is not what makes the epic epic. It's going to be the stakes that make the, the epic epic. Stakes are what make it. When planning your epic, you need to think big and then go even bigger. Epic stakes are greater than personal, group, or even regional. Epic stakes are things that threaten realms, worlds, dimensions, multiverses. Um, so you have to think really large. Um, when we discussed this earlier, one of the questions that came up was this Clash of the Titans epic. The original Clash of the Titans movie, while really cool, they're really only fighting over the fate of one person. Everything else becomes down. So that's not really an epic stake, despite how big the monsters are. The stakes weren't epic enough. So here are yeah, some epic stakes. That was Sorry, actually go really good. That was actually really good. We had that discussion um, mm -hmm. in show prep. Um, yep. that you made a good point because I was like, it's got Greek gods and stuff, but you're like, it's not really epic. And I was like, you are correct. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I mean, if, if Perseus fails, uh, Cassiopeia dies and that's it. Yeah. That's the only thing that happens. Uh, in the first one, we're not going to talk about the second, the, the remake of it. But uh, but it's however, we're never going to speak about the remake. However, if you if you have not seen the Ray Harry House in Clash of the Titans, I strongly recommend it. Anyway, here are some epic stakes though that we talk about that show you the difference. Uh, a good epic stake would be like stopping the ritual to allow an elder god back into the world, or trying to stop a chemical weapon that causes organic molecules to break down wherever it's spread. Um, there's an undefeatable dragon that's going to escape its eternal prison. Or a device that can cause a star to turn into a black hole. <clears throat> Bob, I think we had that one. <laughs> and of course, one ring to rule them all is pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. So the stakes of an epic need to be, well, epic. But so does the opposition, yep. right? There's somebody out there that wants this epic thing to happen. Um, someone who eventually the characters are going to oppose. Uh, and that person can't be a chump or pushover. Otherwise, you know, the characters will just, you know, bash them and the epic. Um, they have to be a person who is up to this epic task. They need to be a villain who has great power, vast resources, an army of henchmen to help make this happen. So pulling from our adversary files, some of the ones that are suited for this job include the mastermind, of course. Um, brilliant, you know, has followers, enacts complicated plans. The hive mind, right? Those drones are the perfect thing to kind of extend the hive, you know, as the hive mind moves towards some epic um, fate. The fanatic, of course, um, the fanatic is like the most dangerous, I think, of these because the fanatic is, um, the fanatic will be totally dedicated to whatever this epic terror is like yeah. they will do anything um to achieve it so I, I i like the fanatic in jerry's example in the opening of the show was clearly a fanatic who was just gonna like nuke the already nuked world yeah. like yeah. um because they just believed in forced atomic evolution like god it's horrible um but the fanatic's a great one for this and lastly the puppet master puppet master again um, is will work for this because all of these groups that we just talked about often have large networks of minions who can assist with trying to make this epic deed succeed. Um, depending on how you structure your story, 
those minions, lieutenants and everything are all going to play an important part of it. Um, you can do this with a solo bad guy. Um, but when your stakes are this high and you have multiple players against one foe, um, you know, players are, you know, players are going to put their blinders on to get the job done. Right. Like, which is why when you have these, you know, when you use adversaries who have a large amount of minions or, you know, control resources like that, you know, you can um, firewall that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Jer, take it. All right. Once we understand the stakes and the opposition, next we need to figure out how we're going to have those epic stakes realized. And this is going to be the activity that the opposition is working towards. So some examples. Um, if you have a ritual, that ritual needs to be cast from a specific site at a very specific time. Um, three artifacts need to be found and then rejoined together. A weapon needs to be deployed in the upper atmosphere. It has to be launched from a secret base. Maybe there's a device, but it has to be shot into the sun to work. Or maybe a specific person has to be sacrificed to a certain location uh, of the mystic prison itself. Anyway, this is going to give us what the climax of the story will entail, but also helps to detail what's coming up next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, then we need to understand how the heroes are going to stop this effort, right? Um, ultimately, this is what the whole arc is about. Yeah. The heroes are working to stop the opposition from completing the effort, which brings about the stakes. Um, this is often going to culminate in the climax of the story. Now, not always, like depending on how you structure this, um, it's possible that this thing gets nipped, you know, like this thing gets nixed during rising action. But ideally, um, if we're mimicking popular media, we really want um, we really want this whole thing to land right at the climax. If we're just again, we're using Freetog's pyramid um, as a very simple story structure, but it's so um, you, it's so obtainable, right, in terms of understanding what's going on. Uh, but again, we want to land right at that climactic battle. Um, if the effort is that a ritual needs to be cast, then we need our heroes to figure out how to stop the casting. Um, and hopefully more elegantly than just we murder everybody. Yep. Like, like that's the, that's the all too easy way, right? Like if we just show up and kill all the cultists, no one can cast the ritual. But it's better if you pack this out a little more with some with a more um, a bigger thing. Like you need to bring a certain artifact and you know use it to reverse the ritual once it starts or something, something, something. Okay, and that's where we're gonna have to lay, lay out what our rising action is. And from that, we find out with like for example, what does it take from the inciting incident to get to the rising action? And then once we're there, does the opposition have everything they need? And the rising actions will be up characters finding out the right info to show up on time to stop the ritual in the first place? Or is the opposition still looking for pieces of the artifact? And each part of the rising action that we have is set around finding one of those pieces. Um, and this is the example that we talked about beforehand, the famous or infamous G.I. Joe Weather Dominator storyline, where every episode was about the Joes trying to stop Cobra from getting one more part of the Weather Dominator. But and then right, lastly, which ultimately, which ultimately, no matter how they do. Cobra eventually gets all the parts so that they can have the climactic battle exactly. to stop to stop Destro from using it. If I and remember that's a, correctly, that is exactly it. And I think that's where we we're going to talk about this a little later on what to do to keep that moving forward. Yeah. Because if the story is an arc or a campaign size framework, then each stop in the rising action 
maybe its own little story or story arc that builds us into a bigger uh, into a bigger theme. Um, and that's uh, good examples of that would be look at any of the Pathfinder adventure paths um, or the aforementioned um, Lost Kingdoms series from Al Qadim, where each individual story arc was its own little adventure that led you to the next step that became part of the bigger campaign. So from there, Bob? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good checklist. Phil, what is it about epics that we find appealing? Yeah, right. Um, I think it's all in the stakes. Uh, stories with stakes this high create excitement, right? Is the world going to be destroyed? Is it going to be saved? Um, our lives are far more mundane than what happens in an epic, right? Um, the fate of our world isn't decided by the outcome of a single event. Rather, it's like done through like a thousand paper cuts, right? Like we're just, we live in the world of like just dying through a thousand paper cuts. Um, yep. But when we see high stakes and it all coming down to a climactic moment in, in our fiction, like it's exciting, right? Like, like the Death Star closing in on the rebel base on Yavin, right? Like that shit's exciting. Yeah. Um, in addition to the stakes, right? I think stakes are really the, the appeal here, but in addition to the stakes, um, it's about the tension of what the characters will do when the stakes are high. Um, when you're getting your ass kicked in some random dungeon, you can just leave, right? You just be like, wow, this, this dungeon's like kicking our ass. Let's get out of here. Take what we got for treasure, go back to town and like, you know, figure out what to do next. But if you're in that dungeon to stop the obsidian dragon from opening up the, you know, portal to the demi realm of eternal pain, like you don't have the option to be like, eh, we're going back to town, right? Like you're going to make some hard choices. And, you know, this is where we see, like, in, in, in epics, the sacrifice. Um, Independence Day, right? Bob loves, I know oh, Bob yeah. loves that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the sacrifice move. Yep. Right? Um, ugh, I just realized what actor that was. <laughs> Blah. Gross. <laughs> anyway, I still like that movie, that actor. I want to, like, wash my mouth out with soap now that I've, now that I've thought about it. Anyway, um, but the sacrifice is like, you know, like that's what's at line, you know, like the fate of the world's on the line. What is the life of one character? Right. This is like where people make those um, heroic moves. So I think that's actually um, another piece where the epic creates excitement. Like, will you sacrifice your character if you can stop this ritual? Right. Like big stakes, big, big stakes. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You, I, I didn't think you hit the. I'm last. sorry. I should have just said, okay, Bob, but. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't hand off very well. That was. Well, that's right. And normally we pass. just flow and we don't have to yeah, do yeah. hand off, but. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you're absolutely right because, uh, like, the first time I saw Star Wars and you hit the trench run, like, that was oh. super tense. You know, mm-hmm. like everything's all, like, you know, like pumped up and your heart's racing and you're like, oh boy, here it comes. What's going to happen? You know? So and then the Han Solo return. Oh yeah, Uh right. Like I mean, that's like that's like half the excitement is like it all looks hopeless, and then like Han's like, oh, I was gonna go and like you know, I was gonna go and like you know take care of some business and stuff, but you know, stakes are too high. I'm here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you 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 say you know like like nobody's gonna nobody's gonna just walk away when it's the Obsidian Dragon about to open the portal to the demi demi plane of pain. It's like you could. You could literally be like, well, we're fucked. I'm leaving. 
but mm-hmm. you know my there, character is chaotic what do you expect from me there's no, two ways sorry. to get remembered in that epic finale I'm one is my character sacri- yeah one way to be remembered is to sacrifice yourself mm-hmm. to to help stop the uh, the bad thing from happening and go down in history as 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 you know the hero of of the world the other way is to say fuck it and walk away and then while the world is in eternal torment, everybody's ruining your name and spitting on your on your legacy because you wouldn't stay and help. <laughs> it's like, do you want to be remembered? Because that's another way to do it. <laughs> all right. All that being said, Jerry, what kind of things do we need to look out for when we run an arc that is epic? All right. Um, there's a couple of things you want to make sure that you look out for to make sure that your epic actually runs uh, smoothly. And the first we're going to talk about is... <laughs> This is important because the pacing, <laughs> sorry, uh, the pacing of sessions uh, needs to match the urgency that we've got. Um, how much is going to be done to get to the climax versus how much time is there to actually get it done? Um, in other words, if the ritual is going to happen in a day and you have six rising events planned, then each is going to be a whole adventure. Your timing is off. You're not going to be able to do all of it. But you also don't want to give your players so much time that there's no urgency or tension. And you don't want to give them too little time Otherwise, become desperate, act without thinking, or begin to lose hope. And none of that's fun either. Exactly, right? Like, you need, like, it really is about, it is really is about, like, just dialing it in so that they're um, anxious, but not um, panicky. And you need to pace that out. Um, or you plan that out ahead of time. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, that, that you need to do is realize that this doesn't all have to happen at first. You can have an adventure that starts with, kind of a laid back pacing and maybe for the first story arc or two there doesn't seem to be much tension as you're laying the groundwork for what's coming up and then at the end of the second story arc after the players have had some time to get their characters in place see what's going on all of a sudden the shoe drops and now crap we've got one month to save the world you know flash i love you but we've only got six hours to save the world that kind of thing um that suddenly happens at the end so that's good someone's approaching sir Flash Gordon. Oh man, how do we not even talk about Flash Gordon? Oh yeah. Wow. There you go. Uh, He'll save every one of us. More proof that Queen should do the soundtrack to every epic movie. I mean Highlander. Also epic, kind of. If anybody under really understood what the shitty prize was at the end of that movie. Don't get me wrong. I love that movie. Only the yeah. only one that was ever made, Highlander. Yes. Just the original. And the TV series wasn't bad. Nope. Not even sure what you're talking about. There was this movie, <laughs> Highlander. It's really good. It can be only one. It's right there. There is the only title. one. All right. Um, next topic. I'm starting to realize that you have to be a certain age to get all the jokes on this show. And it's yes. getting older each year. Yes. Like, <laughs> The demographic of this show is like getting older. We're not getting younger here. All right. The next thing you need to decide is how inevitable the climax is to the arc. So let me explain. So if you've got a rising action where five relics need to be found and reassembled into a key that opens the dark portal and in your rising action, um, the players and the bad guys are racing to get the key, like the relics. What's going to happen if the players get relic number two and just destroy it? Uh-oh. Right. Players are resourceful and they are unpredictable. 
right? They, and, and they often become like Occam's razor, right? Like, oh, the bad guys need five pieces of this relic to reopen the portal. Guess we're throwing piece number two into like, you know, into a pit. Um, whatever. I have to say, we saw that happen in a play test where the heroes were supposed to re- to rescue the young prince before the bad guys could sacrifice him. So the bad guys sacrifice him, um, then evil be released. The heroes realized they probably had no chance of winning. So when they entered the room, they all just spent their first action murdering the prince. I- because yeah, if they it, murdered him first, and the GM did not know what to do with that. That was not a game I was playing. I was I was overseeing it. But yeah, I've seen th- that happen. Exactly right. So <laughs> yep. the point of this is the point of of understanding like the pitfall about the inevitability of the climax. Right. Yep. Is that if there's a chance during your rising action that the effort for whatever the climactic stakes are can be stopped. Mm-hmm. You either one need to be totally okay with that and be like, cool. If the players knock this thing out, like in in you know adventure three of the rising action, more power to them, right? You know, bonus check, give them level up, and we'll move on to the next story. Or you need to restructure your story so that that can't happen. Yeah. Now the thing you don't want to do. Here's me spouting GM advice from the from the person. I'm who does pretty the sure least. you're. Yes. I'm pretty sure what you're about to say is quite sound. Go ahead. I and think yeah. I know where you, I think I know where you are. Yeah. What you yeah. don't want to do is you don't want to lock everything in such that all of these goals are completely impossible for the player characters to stop. The bad guys are going to be just a step ahead of them every step of the way. They're going to get all the pieces they need, and then you have your climax at the temple or whatever. It's like you could do that, but that's forced. And it it takes away some of the player agency. The you better are a hundred hundred percent correct. You are a hundred percent correct. And we're going to talk in the next section about some ways to do the rising actions differently. But you're a hundred percent correct. Yeah. If the thing is like you have to get five pieces, like the bad guys have to get five pieces of this thing to put it together and open the thing, and you allow like the players to go head to head with the bad guys at all five, and you've rigged it so that there's no way the players can win during all five. Yeah, you're, that's not good. Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah. By the like, time they get you are just railroad. They're gonna feel it. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're yeah. they're definitely gonna feel it, yeah. right? They're gonna feel it, and like Jerry said earlier with the pacing thing, if they feel like it's inevitable, they'll become defeatists. Like yeah. they, you will have defeated them before the climax. So yeah. we're gonna talk about because I don't want to go into it here. We're gonna talk yeah. about in the next section where we talk about tips for running a good one. We're gonna talk about some different rising actions you can do to avoid this piece. My advice is if you're going to do this thing, like you're going to be in a race to five, the five, five pieces, either one, you don't need all five pieces, right? Like every piece you get gives you X amount more to be able to cast the ritual, but one piece is enough, right? Or you just need to be okay to like kill the, kill this arc, like, hey, you guys did it. You guys got like Relic 3. The world is saved. Yep. It's not as epic, right? Yeah. Like, it's not epic. But um, but that competition one, like, hey, there's five pieces. And each one gives like an extra, uh, I don't know, plus 10% to finish like to like on the ritual casting or whatever. And the bad guy, you know, already has a, I don't know, 40% to cast it. So every one of them he gets just makes it better. Then you can yeah. afford to lose a couple. Yeah. Right. Then, then this, then this competition thing works fine. 
But much like the GI Joe thing, to go back to GI Joe and the weather machine, and this is going back because you really do have to be about our age to remember this. The whole point of the weather machine was there were like five pieces of the weather machine. The weather machine doesn't work with three or four pieces or whatever. It needs all all five. five. So while the Joes get a couple pieces, somewhere around episode three or four, they lose the pieces they got. Right. Which, again, if you're writing it is perfectly fine. But if you were running it as a campaign, somebody can be pissed. Right. Like, I I believe Cobra gets the parts back because at one point the Joes, don't they drop them and it ends up in a big hockey game on the arena and they're playing hockey with the parts of the Weather Dominator until the Cobra gets them all. I'm not making that up. I think that's what actually happened. You are not making that up. They were not playing hockey. They were not playing hockey as in with sticks. They were shooting the big puck like thing on the ice in the Arctic with their lasers and like shooting and pushing it along. Okay. Oh, it's a thing. Lasers. 1983, folks. That's what animation. Who left the vault door open? Cobra just took all the shit back. (laughs) This is not your this is not your She-Ra or nope your Voltron. This was 1983 G.I. Joe. All right. Anyway, we need to let let us move forward. Uh, Jerry, tell us another pitfall. All right. You need to know what to do if the players fail at the climax. Create stakes that can end the campaign and hang them on the hope the players win the climax is going to be a risk. If the players fail, the the campaign's over. That's it. Um, If your stakes are going to be destroy the world, are you ready to end the campaign in that world that the players fail? Um, If the endless pain is released, what is that like mechanically? And the next arc, can that be stopped? And this is something that you can look at. And uh, I hate to keep saying this, but I would look back to some of the APs to see how they talk about how to plan for that ahead of time. You know, if you're doing, uh, what was the one you guys played? Legend of the, of the Demon King or something like that was the big one you guys played years oh, yeah. ago. Yeah. You know, what happens if they don't destroy the Demon King? Oh, yeah, What's next? Bad. You know, is there an adventure that, that, that happens next? And that mm-hmm. could be a lot of fun, you know? Um, you know, we've had those things, you know, what happens if Frodo doesn't drop the ring into the, into the pit of doom? You well, you know? see what the GM did when he failed his uh, saving yeah. throw. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The yes. GM's like, well, shit, you can't have this. The GM's like, well, I'm making an intrusion here. <laughs> Gollum, do your thing. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to spend this Benny and Gollum shows up. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, have, have, but have that in place and think about it. Um, I mean, you have to have it in place, right? If you, you, if you create a world ending stakes, is it really the world ends? Like if the players lose this, are you just going to shut the campaign down? Mm -hmm. Like everybody hand in your character sheets, the game's over. And maybe that's okay. Maybe. I mean, maybe that, I mean, that if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, that might be perfect. You know, you guys lost, Cthulhu wins, that's the end of the, that's the end of the game. Um, allow everyone it. allow everyone to narrate how they go mad or yep. you know are eaten and then yep. proceed but yeah We've you had, definitely need I, to have I play a games plan, like that. especially with yeah. the with the with the players too like if you're doing an epic thing you should have in your session zero a discussion where you say look guys if you get to the climax and something happens and the bad guy wins like how are you gonna feel about that are we gonna mm-hmm. are we gonna are we gonna be like okay that's great, uh, and just boom, it's over, and walk away from the table. Or do you wanna, do you wanna do a, a round of you know how everybody suffers through the through the the the, the destruction and the madness or whatever follows? Um, do you wanna, 
you know, do you want to pick up, you know, 50 years later with descendants of the original team um, trying mm-hmm. to to break the cycle of, of, of destruction or whatever and, and take the bad guy out and usher in a new age of light? Like what, you know, mm-hmm. how do you want to handle that, <laughs> you know? Because the possibility, I mean, it's a role-playing game with a randomizer. The possibility I mean, exists yeah. that you're going to lose. I mean, let's put it in perspective. I mean, the Terminator, if John Connor dies... Do you play out what happens after the machines win? Yeah. Maybe that could be a lot of fun, you know. Yes. Okay. Maybe not, you know. That kind of thing happens. Yeah. So, um, All right. <clears throat> but I think Bob's right. I think you need to have that discussion Absolutely. ahead of time, though, so everybody knows. Yeah. yeah, and you, you know what? If you're in the middle of running a campaign and you just like spring an epic on them, you can also, um, yeah. you could also stop and have this discussion. Yeah. Have a sidebar, do it offline, whatever. But yeah. Have a conversation. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Um, another one. Um, this type of arc should not be followed up by another epic arc, <laughs> right? If you have just saved the world, you should not have your next arc immediately put the world back in danger. Um, this is what I refer to as um, both the Justice League and Avengers problem, yeah, right? Yes. Like, like this is a problem that both of these comics suffer um, constantly that writers have to battle through is... Um, these guys fight epic battles on a routine basis. And then like, how does it not get um, like kind of numbing? Yeah. Like writing wise, you know, like when you're writing something like Spider-Man, it's pretty easy. Like week to week, he's fighting like a different, you know, different villain and like none of those villain, like the stakes are pretty low. So like, you can just keep having that happen. Yeah. Um, And then occasionally throw a, like a bigger villain in that kind of thing. But like, if you just fought off the celestials, what are your what's your next arc right so think about this like if you're doing this in your in your home game and you just run a save the world from eternal pain and you just you know like you you stop the obsidian dragon like have like a normal size adventure arc kick off after that have like a breather yeah right change your beat great example that was the defenders there was a story arc in the defenders when it was um, Hulk and Valkyrie and Doctor Strange and Nighthawk and there was a storyline where they just finished facing some sort of Doctor Strange level world conquering villain and the next issue was it was Valkyrie's turn to buy dinner for everybody and she had to go shopping um, and she ends up, she and the Hulk end up having to go shopping together and they stop some criminals in the supermarket and Valkyrie doesn't know how to buy earth food and so they end up just buying a bunch of stuff because Hulk likes beans, which is a running joke in the Marvel Universe. And that was the whole story arc for the next comic was just a lot of character development, a little bit of tension with the, with the, 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 the bad guys in the supermarket because they were going to try to kill somebody there. Um, Valkyrie trying to deal with the real world stuff. Hulk trying to relate to people without just you know smashing everything. Yep. And then, of course, what do you buy? Epic, epic, world-ending cosmic horror Hulk likes beans. Lighter, and, humorous, and whatever. Yep. Lower, much lower stakes. You know, you bring Spider-Man back from Battle World where he just had this epic thing with all the bad guys and all the heroes together. You know, then mm-hmm. maybe you want to throw him up against like the big wheel who's trying to, you know, knock off a bank. You know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. time to drop Howard the Duck into the episode. There you go. Exactly. There you go. Or Madcap was another favorite of mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> I 
I, I always, I'm sorry. I always, will you side? Any- all right. Well, we're all right. I'm fine with madcap. Where do you side with impossible man? Same thing. Madcap, okay. impossible man, Mr. Mix a click. Don't ever want them any mice and bat mice. Oh, don't we should them. talk about that adversary. Don't, don't annoying asshole. Oh, annoying ass. Exactly. Annoying asshole with cosmic power. Like, <laughs> Which yeah, technically Q falls into, but I think he has more gravitas. I think Q actually pulls oh, off. Absolutely. And, and, and who is the one villain that, that Jerry hates to see show up in Trek all the time? Q? Exactly. By so, the way, I'm just... They've done, quick, they've, done, they've done a really good job with him. You know, real say, quick they, side they, thing. They fix that. Yeah. Real quick side thing. In Voyager, you know the episode where um, Q Jr. comes on board? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually John Delancey's uh, son. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. I, did I did not, not know that. So that's not only is it Q Jr. That yeah. was there's Delancey Jr. Like that's uh, cool. I saw it when when the uh, credits were rolling. I saw his name in the credits, and I'm like, oh. And then as I'm watching the episode, I'm like, oh, he's totally his kid. You can see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all joking aside, actually, I think after the second appearance of Q, they did a much better job with it because originally they played him very much like the Mister Mixiplick Impossible Man just annoying for the sake of being an annoying character. And I think they did a really good job of making him into a thinking, challenging, interesting villain. I liked him a lot more as the series went on. I'm going to tell you my favorite, before we jump into the last thing here, my favorite impossible man um, appearance ever is there is a, there's an annual of the new mutants Yep, where impossible man and warlock have a shape-shifting contest and it goes on forever, like destroys things. And it gets more and more ridiculous until Impossible Man is Godzilla and uh, Warlock is a Shogun warrior. And then somebody whispers to Warlock and he's like, oh, I can do a thing you can't do. And he turns into full color. And then Impossible Man in the next frame is like seen crying in the X-Mansion because he lost the contest. It's a completely ridiculous yep. ep- uh, issue, but... It is the only time I've ever enjoyed Impossible Man. In a... By the way, for our um, non-Marvel comic followers, Impossible Man is this alien shapeshifter um, who is absolutely part of the obnoxious asshole um, yeah. adversary. We're going to open up a new adversary file. I don't know yeah. when we're doing it. Yeah, Bob put a pin in that. But yeah, cosmic, cosmic-powered asshole is going to be the... <laughs> we'll probably can't use asshole. We'll use cosmic-powered jerk. Yeah. Otherwise, yes. iTunes is going to get pissy. <laughs> all right all right jerry okay. finish this off we are very side chatty tonight it's okay but woo, yeah. this, this 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 is a side chatty kind of thing because there's so many good examples of this that that explain what we're talking about so as we wrap this up basically just remember um just don't chase the curve too much with your plot lines these arcs are going to be fun if you do a few of them occasionally you're going to keep trying to talk to yourself over and over again and you can run the risk of going from exciting to just plain absurd um if you're going to do multiple epic arcs, you don't have to make one world-ending event more epic than the last one. They can be equal in their stakes. And this is why sometimes you need to switch up after one of these arcs. Agreed. Yep. yep. All right. So now that we know what not to do and what to be mindful of, Phil, let's end this half of the segment with some tips on how to do this well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <clears throat> uh, we want you to do this well. So, uh, of course, avoid all the pitfalls we just mentioned above. Right. It should go without saying, but... Start with those, avoid all those things that we just said. Mm-hmm. But now here's some additional tips to make your good epic. Use that inciting event to set the stakes, right? Your inciting event should, if possible, show what the stakes are rather than just somebody running up and telling the character, right? Like an epic is like 
the inciting event, if it's like the mission giver gives you the epic event, like, eh. but if like the obsidian dragon attacks or like a small version of the ritual of pain and, you know, is inflicted upon a bar full of people or something and whatever, like have that inciting event, like show, not tell, right. That classic writers thing, show, not yep. tell, um, you know, that like we want, like, like look at the, um, look at like the um, first Avengers movie, right. The inciting incident is um, Loki's arrival. Mm-hmm. Right. And it ends with like the complete implosion of the Pegasus labs, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. a it, it's a pretty big hint that our stakes for this movie are much bigger than the other movies that we've been seeing so far. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. Go ahead, Jared. Next tip. All right. Early on, you want to reveal who the opposition is and let the players know what they can do. Um, if the player's gonna have a climactic battle with the opposition. Make sure you give them time to think about what's going what's gonna happen, what they're gonna do, and give them a little taste of who the opposition is and what they're capable of. That doesn't mean they have to have a direct confrontation with the villain. It just means that they're gonna have some revelation of what the villain can do. Um, uh, I'll give an example, Second Darkness, which is about the drow. Uh, the end of the first story arc ends with the drow dropping a very small meteor into the ocean a couple of miles offshore, which floods the town they're in and now leads with this big rock that nobody knows anything about and the players suddenly realize something bigger than just the little kind of noir mystery they've been involved in is up to date all of a sudden it went from story arc to something epic has just happened you know a meteor the size of an island just crashed in the ocean that means something and when they go out there they figure out this is something that the the bad guys are going to start dropping stuff on the world they don't know who they are yet but this is what they're doing and then they get revealed oh this is who's doing it and this is what their plans are that kind of plot line works really well yeah, it's good. Okay. Um, next tip: Your rising action can be. We were talking about alternate rising action structures, right? Your rising action can be to get parts to make something that will stop or counter the effort, um, rather than going head to head with the opposition. Um, you can have the characters work on getting things to bring to the climax to thwart the effort, right? Yep. This avoids the players from um, prematurely stopping this arc, right? We talked about some other ways to avoid it, but like if you have the players like kind of um, like run and go do this thing, they're working like kind of parallel to the bad guys and not crossing over. And you can have other challenges in the rising action rather Mm -hmm. than like actually running up against the bad guys. Or Mm -hmm. you can have the bad guys show up a little later in that rising action. So another rising action sequence is uh, get to the ritual. The minions of the opposition are trying to stop you. Uh, this is going to prevent early disruption of the effort. It allows for some action and traveling, but avoids disrupting the effort until they get there. So it's the travel and the encounters along the way and gives the player something to interact with without actually allowing them to stop the adventure right from the beginning. So, Yeah, and these are all just that, these are all going back to that same idea that like you, like, your intent is that you want this to you want this thing to um, peak at the climax and that you don't want to sacrifice it early. Right. So you're like, how do I how do I construct a rising action that's exciting and interesting, but prevents the players from, um, you know, from from thwarting, you know, the bad guy. The idea is that the bad guy has everything they need. They 
are, you know, on the mountain, but they need like in, in 72 hours, you know, in 72 hours, the stars will properly align for the portal to be open. Cool. It gives three days for the players to get, you know, across the kingdom kind of thing. Right. Or, you know, the bad guy has everything he needs in, you know, in a fortnight, the, you know, the, you know, the stars align, whatever, whatever. Um, cool. We're going to go get all the parts for the counter ritual or yeah. the artifact that seals the portal, whatever. Those are just good ways to do this epic without directly putting the bad guy in harm's way. Because right. as we know with some games, if you put the bad guy in harm's way, you could lose. Him. Yeah. Other games give you some protection, but some do not. Okay. Uh, next tip. Um, what happens if the heroes fail? And this is oh. uh, this is pretty much my favorite my favorite ending, which is what happens if they fail? Uh, make sure you have some idea. Maybe it's a fun campaign as well, but be prepared to deal with that. Yes, and one more. <laughs> okay, um, have a hidden stake in case the characters fail to stop the effort. Right. So, like getting the like delivering this artifact and placing it onto the altar will stop the um, will stop the ritual, like the portal from opening. But what if something happens in the middle of the fight and the bad guy teleports away the artifact? Is everything lost? This is often a good place in your notes to kind of stuff a, um, this is where the sacrifice comes in, mm -hmm. right? You can now offer a hard choice. Like this portal's going to open unless one of you sacrifices themselves. Yep. Like, or you can pull the key out of the, the key is, you know, arcing with electricity that's opening up the portal. If somebody was brave enough to grab the key and pull it out, which is certain death, it probably will disrupt the ritual, right? Have it tucked away in your notes. Don't give it to the players from the beginning. Like, yeah. let them go on the epic part. But if something happens and the cool epic plan thing starts to fail, throwing out the sacrifice yeah. option or whatever that is, the hidden stake. Yeah will give the players that like rally point. And you see this in movies all yeah. the time. Having that in your back yep. pocket is a good, is a good safeguard. Uh, if you're going to do that, that the example you used, like say of pulling the key out resulting in certain death, the one thing you don't want to do is it will probably disrupt the ritual. You don't want to put yeah. any ambiguity in there. Like no, if correct. you do that, it's going to blow the portal and the ritual will end and you will save the yep. universe. Yeah, because if anyone's sacrificing themselves, you, you got to give it to them. Yes. You don't want yeah. them to sacrifice themselves and go, oh, there's a 50% chance it'll work. No. You <laughs> sacrifice yourself for that plus five, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Jump on that like, grenade. No. Yeah. It's not the yeah. way you want to do it. No, yeah, you're absolutely exactly. right. If you're if you're sacrificing yourself, it's total win. <clears throat> yep. There are so many ways that you can that you can mitigate the potential um uh the potential loss by the players. Uh, without doing a whole bunch of railroady type things, uh, we've already mentioned like the 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 big bad can do the ritual without any help. But if the big bad gets these five things, each one of them increases the speed at which they can do it and the potency of how this thing is going to work. So right. they're trying to get these things because they want to go all out. All right. You've got a time and a place. We know this has to take place in the altar at the top of the mountain at the summer solstice. So we know exactly when it's going to happen. We can have some reinforcements be there to help us, but we need to give them time. 
if we go and we try and stop them from getting these other five things, we can slow them down and thereby not only maximize our chances of stopping the ritual completely, but also giving more time for our allies to show up to aid us in, in, in bringing this whole thing to a close. Like, like here, there's a, there's a framework where now you've got all these things and none of it's railroady. You've got, uh, 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 the ability to mitigate in case any failures happen along the way and, and away you go. So if you just stop and think about what your, what your thing is and what parts could be put in as components to this thing, you can easily structure it so that you've got a lot of safeguards and leeway and wiggle room and stuff. They still have a good epic fight without, uh, without having a, Oh God, they just blew it. And now the whole thing's over. <laughs> what do we do? Exactly. Cool. Cool. All right, cool. That's our, that's our look at the epic framework. All right. Um, let's take a break real quick and check with the chat room. But before we do, Bob, tell us about another show on the Mr. To Mark Network. Yeah, the newest show on the network, They're a Super Geek. It's an actual play one-shot live stream created by three BIMPOC players to highlight the voices of marginalized folks in the TTRPG scene. They feature gender-marginalized GMs and a diverse rotating cast of players. Tune in every other Thursday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the Misdirected Mark Twitch channel. All right. On to our chat room. We had a couple of good ones. Uh, our friend of the show, Aaron, Abom1945, asked, can you have a minor version, a, a smaller version of the epic ending, um, like a foreshadowing? Um, and I think that falls in with, uh, um, like, giving, giving the taste of what the bad guy's capable of that we talked mm-hmm. about. Well, I mean, yeah. you could, I mean, you could, if you structured it, you could have one story arc. Um, yeah, be either the foreshadowing or have the end of that story arc in the in the denouement be the inciting incident for the epic arc. Yeah. yeah. Comic books do this all the time. Oh yeah. Like um what was it? Oh, there was that really cool um two-part X-Men where uh what's his face, the wizard. Was it Colin Colin Yes, Colin Gath gets loose and at the end Doctor Strange uses Ileana Rasputin to fix the timeline so that that never happens and the way the timeline solves that problem is it summons nimrod to kill the mugger that starts the chain of events that leads to it and it's like well like that just kicked off its own like in like its own incident now we got a nimrod to deal with (laughs) but yeah, yeah like jerry's example with the with the drow pulling down a meteor um, mm-hmm. you've got the smaller meteor that, that lands in the water. There's your test run, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've, they've got, they've got you. this big grand thing that they're going to do. They can do a smaller version to test their theory to make sure it works. And then yep. it's like, oh shit, if they get the big one going. Right. That, oh no. That, that actually, that actually campaign does a really good job of pacing that. Cause the entire first adventure is the players basically just trying to solve a mystery in a casino in a town where there's a big like cloud way, way, way up in the sky that they can see something is happening. And every once in a while, weird things happen, like it rains fire or fish show up or something like that. And at the end of the adventure, um, they encounter the first drow the surface world has seen in 10,000 years. And that one drow shows up. And as they're fighting her, all of a sudden, they defeat her. And in that fight, the uh, test run gets triggered. And the, sh- the shadow in the sky opens up and this meteor drops. 
And when it drops at sea, it does what you'd expect if an island fell six feet out at sea. It causes, you know, 100-foot waves and everything else like that. And so that first adventure ends with the players basically standing on shore watching this thing fall and realizing that it's all tied together with what they've just encountered. Yeah, um, fantastic. And, and, it, and it takes the adventure from a noir-style mystery to, oh, shit, there's huge stakes involved. And this this evil, not well, this race that we haven't seen in a long time is suddenly back. Um, and that leads to a whole bunch of cool stuff after that. Yeah. I mean, but that's just, the one where you, that's the one where you have, you know, like, um, you know, after they save like so-and-so, they look up and they're like, they're coming. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, you know or, or the villains or the villains, you know, the villain is working on, um, you know, creating a, a black hole. And at the end of the first adventure, uh, the villain's minion shows up and in order to escape, triggers this bomb and runs away. And all of a sudden, a city block disappears forever, you know, yeah. and the players realize, oh, that was just a small piece of it. That sort of thing. It, it, it really works well. Yep. Yeah, so. I like to that's the um, sometimes refer to that as in like in my head, I refer to that as the iceberg. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. you were you were looking at the top of it the whole time. And for just a second at the end, you get a peek under the water and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> it's the part you didn't see. Yeah. Yep. And and regardless of how big the door is, there's only room for one person. So remember, it's <laughs> how doors work. It's how doors work. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one right. um, from Donnie Harville, Vampire Fifty Four. Uh, running scenes from the antagonist's viewpoint. Has this been a topic? Um, is this something that 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 might be interesting? Antagonist thinking, I think, would actually be a really fun topic. We just had a touch of this. I won't go into it too deep here, but we had a touch of it. Um, the other night when we were playing um, Knights Black Agents, we yeah. were doing that infiltration. And, um, you know, w- when we were done, I kind of revealed to you guys my like thought process for how I was making my spends um, oh, yeah. because I was trying to think like the villain, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't really have a reason to make certain spends at certain times. Like, mm-hmm. but I do, I do that a lot, actually. Like I, I do that with um, like I, that antagonist thinking is like what I do when I decide somebody's just going to run away. Like, I don't commit all my bad guys to just, you know, hey, they're just going to stand here until they're all dead. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes I just like look and my bad guys are like, uh, I'm fucked. I'm running away. Like, there's no there's no conceivable win scenario for me here. Mm-hmm. Above a certain intelligence, I allow that to happen right below a certain intelligence. I'm like, nope, rawr, like <clears throat> going to, you know, I'm just going to maul everything until I'm until yeah, I'm dead. I'm a monster. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, but for but yeah, antagonist thinking. I mean, I do a lot of antagonist thinking in terms of um, like for Knights Black Agents, right? I have to frequently jump into the heads of the vampires to be like, what's their next move? Mm-hmm. Jot it down. Antagonist thinking is antagonist thinking is definitely going to be a future topic. An, an antagonist point of view, because I think I'm not sure that might be what he's actually like. Uh, when I played oh. uh, when I played the first uh, our first Far Frontier campaign which was a, a d6 sci-fi game um we had this big bad dash escape whatever thing with the players basically trying to pull off a heist as the first story arc the story arc ended with us finally stealing a starship and getting into space and flying through these asteroids that were forming a band and as we pulled past the big asteroid and probably got away at the last minute and crashed all the bad guys into a bunch of other asteroids 
the adventure ended and we're in space and the GM had this nice little like downtime scene where we got to do all of our backstories. And then he said, okay, he said, and then the camera pans back to the asteroids and the biggest asteroid unfolds like a squid. And from inside a long sleep ship pulls out and this, the camera pans into the, to the deck. And he had this like monologue of this villain in shadow talking about what he'd just witnessed. And that was it. That was this whole thing. And now we had some idea that this whole little mini arc of a heist that we just did had just been part of a bigger story. And we didn't know who the villain was. We didn't know what was going on, but we got to see a couple scenes from their point of view. And, and the, the GM let us all play like his minion sitting around asking him questions without actually revealing what was going on yet, just to kind of give us an idea of uh, what was coming in the, in the future. And that's also an antagonist point of view. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely done um, a couple scenes like that every now and then where uh-huh. I've done like a foreshadowing thing where I reveal, you know, um, uh-huh. you know, oh, somewhere out in the world, like, you know, a hand, you know, pushes a button um, <clears throat> or, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, it's super great and tropey for like a superhero type game, but yeah. I, I think it's underused as a tool in just in general. Like yeah. doing that in well, your note, generic note fantasy. that one too because yeah. these are both uh, yeah. both both interpretations of that are things we could definitely talk about. Yeah, and I agree with you, Bob. I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of um, I don't think a lot of games do that um, that bad guy POV um, scene kind of it's, kind of thing. And you're right. I think it's it's very it's, common common because we see it in comic books constantly. <clears throat> But it's it's tricky to do though, and that's why I think it make a good topic because mm-hmm. if it's not done well, it just looks like sloppy. It looks sloppy, right? So and it is, and it is skill to it, and it's predicated on a it's predicated on a thing that I, ironically I just, I just saw rec- or, uh, ironically I saw today Jason Cordova tweeting about and something I'm in full support of, which is um, uh, the difference between player knowledge and character knowledge. Yes, right, because that is a thing that. Um, you are doing that scene for the entertainment of the players, mm-hmm. not the characters. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, and, and if you're playing somebody who's like a purist who only wants to know what their character knows, they may not like that. But I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I actually yeah, think role playing games are actually I, I side with Jason in this. I think role playing games are a lot better when players know more than their characters do. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Donnie just uh, just gave us the uh, fine. I'll do it myself. The parting shot. Oh, it goes a long way. So good. Right. Like that moment right there. You're just like, oh, and Marvel, right. The MC was so good at this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I mean, this is half of what they invented the stinger for. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good mm-hmm. times. All right. Well, that's going to put us into the uh, last part of our workshop on epics, which is the round table. And we're going to start with this question. Yes. What is your favorite epic from media? I'll go first. Um, I'm going to go with with Star Wars. Um, if you're a certain age, Star Wars was the epic of, of your childhood. Um, and it really did um, set some pretty big stakes. And, you know, in the first one, you've got some idea in the middle of that movie what's suddenly happening. Because up until then, it's this kind of space opera thing. And all of a sudden, boom, they just blew up this, this planet of, of pacifists. And now everything's bigger. And, you know, if we don't stop this thing, 
the empire is going to start using this to just go around blowing up any world that doesn't want us that that doesn't agree with them. And by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, now you've got um, you know the empire is trying to tighten its grasp. They're trying to use ships and the Force and also try to get the last hope of of of, of the universe into one spot. I mean, it's this was a big, it was an epic in every single way, and the final. Uh, action sequence of Return of the Jedi, where you've got, um, you know, a massive space battle, a lightsaber duel on the Death Star, and a heist slash sabotage mission on Endor, surrounded by a bunch of teddy bears with with sticks, and and I mean that in a good way. Um, it 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 was epic, and I mean everything about it was epic. and the space fight. You mentioned the, yeah, space like, the lightsaber fight, the space the battle, space, I and the, the space battle. Yeah, and the ground, like yes, yeah. And and the fact that everything about it, the space battle was bigger than what we'd seen before. The lightsaber battle was bigger than we saw before. And even their allies. I mean, people make fun of the Ewoks, but let's face it. These guys weaponize everything they get their hands on and use it to destroy the stormtroopers in brutal ways. And that's part of the fun of it. And they ate them too. But that's the point. Let's just say um, those murder teddy bears, if they had been let off that let off that uh, moon, yeah. would have uh, would have would have gotten that job done quicker. <laughs> that's Drop true. Drop bears in space. Uh, Yep. So, I mean, that, that's what you've got there to begin with. So, I mean, that, that's Star Wars. It just it hits all those little tropes along the way and does a good job. It kind of set the stage for things since then. There's a lot of things that if you go back and watch Star Wars, it looks cliche, but that's because it was the first one to do that in Western literature. So, all right, Bob? Yeah, I, I got to go with the Lord of the Rings movies here. Mm-hmm. Um, these, it, like, a lot of us had read the books. Some of us had read the books many times. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an epic story. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the, the evil force is, is, is building and the, and the, and the one ring could turn the tide of everything and darkness could fall across the land. And, and these little, you know, little people, the hobbits, you know, like, you know, you look at them and you're like, what are these guys going to do? And they go off on this, you know, <clears throat> on this quest to basically save the world. And, uh, and Peter Jackson just crushed it gonna, peter jackson and new zealand and new zealand and and weta and yeah i mean it's just the the scope of this they did such a nice job uh of of putting this together that um it it feels epic like all the way through like everything feel like the 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 visuals and the music and the everything's just <clears throat> It's hard for me to put words to it because I'm not good at that kind of thing. I'm like that's why I don't do reviews and stuff like that. Um, but they just uh, they they just they nailed it when they put these three films together, and the choice to do them all basically back to back to back, just film them all at the same time, was I think uh, ambitious as hell. Um, it had been done before because you did Back to the Future two and three at the same time. Um, what was the other one that they did two, two of the films? I forget, but those were way less, um, three, musca- three musketeers and four musketeers. Mm, I don't three three musketeers and, that was actually a lawsuit. They filmed both movies back to back, but only played <laughs> the actress for the first one. Uh, but I mean, this, this was just, you know, like it was Amazing. a hugely ambitious task, uh, and it, and they crushed it and, um, giving the uh, the Oscar to Peter Jackson for Best Director for Return of the King was, I think, um, uh, 
like a makeup call. Like, like he deserved it for this trilogy. So giving it to him for the last one was, was I think, uh, well-deserved. But yeah, mm-hmm. epic. Good word I, for him. I still remember when, when they do the Battle of Balan's Tomb, which is kind of the only action scene in the original book that's detailed in any, in any detail. And what he did with that to make it not just epic, but also to use it as a storytelling technique, because the way each character fights and acts and interacts with each other in that scene set the stage for how he did the rest of that story, that characters didn't just talk. Their actions, their interactions said everything about the characters as they went forward. But that scene alone just suddenly cranked things up to where you knew that everything coming was going to be um, just over the top in a good mm-hmm. way. Um, I, it was amazing. I, I, it was it was jaw-dropping, literally. Yeah. At time. I was literally, when I saw that, the person next to me had to reach over and push my jaw. I was just like, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, good times. Great. All right, Phil. Oh, sure. Um, I'm going to go with um, Marvel Comics Original Secret Wars. Um, You assemble. um, I mean, first of all, this is like the um, this is a 12 part miniseries done in the mid 80s. It is for better or for worse. It is the reason why there were miniseries and uh, events in the nineties and going forward, right? Like this was like the, this was like the first real big event. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a huge crossover thing. Essentially it boils down to remember when you're kids and arguing about what superheroes could beat what superheroes, this whole mini series is basically that a whole host of Marvel superheroes are all summoned by this um, epic structure that appears in central park. Every, in every episode, in every issue leading up to it, they, they foreshadow its arrival. The thing arrives. And then at the end of an issue, whatever the heroes were doing, whoever the heroes were, they're like, oh, I wonder what this thing is in Central Park. And then they go into it and they're gone. And it just says at the bottom, coming soon, Secret Wars 1. And you're like, what the hell? And so when you get there and you open up the first Secret Wars, you see all these heroes. Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men, blah, 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 blah. And then they notice across in space, there's another bubble full of all the bad guys, all their bad guys. And then this godlike creature creates a planet and is like, hey, I'm going to let you guys all fight. And whoever wins, I'm going to give you godlike powers. So, of course, Dr. Doom's like, I'm on this. (laughs) Like, you know um galactus is there i mean like the stakes could not be higher right like like it is a full host of bad guys galactus is like in the middle of it is like i'm gonna eat the planet because i'm dying of hunger doom is like i'm not even fighting any of you idiots i'm just gonna go steal the beyonders powers the rest of them are all brawling like it's enormous in and it came out over the course of a year it was 12 issues you had to wait a whole year as a kid um to get through this i highly recommend by the way grab the trade paperback if you're if yes. you buy things physically and if not marvel unlimited has this series it is well yeah. worth the read it's a lot of fun um yeah. but it's enormous um the stakes could not have been higher for the marvel universe um all of that stuff and it and it goes all over the place cap's yeah. shield is broken um dr oh. doom dr doom reprograms ultron yep yes Dr. Doom becomes a god, then he's not, not a that. god. Like it's every you also get 
the huge foreshadowing of how epic this thing is going to be. Because as you said, at the end of all their normal issues, they go into this obelisk in Central Park, they disappear, and it says, coming Correct. soon, Secret Wars 1. The very next month, Secret Wars 1 comes out, but then all of their other titles come out as normal, and people are coming out of the obelisk. The Fantastic yes. Four comes out without the thing, and yep. She-Hulk is wearing a Fantastic Four outfit. The Hulk's yep. got a broken leg, and he's on crutches. Yep. Spider-Man comes out with a black costume. And everybody's uh, like, what the fuck is going on? Colossus runs out, breaks up with Kitty Pride. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like gloriously. Was thing. Oh, yes. just, and um, then you have to wait to figure out as this thing unfolds over 12 months, like you said, you're, you're looking for all the touchstones of where these, these events happen. And it's like, oh, man, so it was, good. It was so good. It was yeah. so good. And I just remember as a kid, like, I remember the lead up to it. I remember yep. collecting the comics. I remember I remember being excited when the um when the Marvel uh superheroes uh, module yep. came out mm-hmm. for Secret Wars because even if you didn't want to play Secret Wars, if you were a fan of Marvel superheroes, the second book inside that module was the stat blocks for everyone yep. who was in the Secret Freaking Wars buddy. and that yep. thing was a fucking treasure trove of of stat blocks. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so then you had uh, even I, had- they had action figures. Yep. They had the action, the action figures. figures are terrible. If you watch, um, I have them. I had them. Oh, uh, what them is all. it? Toy, is it Toy History on YouTube? Yeah. Toys, the um, toys that made us. No, no, no. There's a, yeah, there's um, a different one. Yeah, I'll find it. Um, yeah. And there's then there's a, out of the twelve issues of the series, there are probably four to six just iconic covers. Oh, you've yes. got the one with Spider-Man in the black costume. You've got. The, the 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 Hulk the, holding up the mountain. Hulk holding up the beneath fifty billion tons of rock stands the Hulk. Dot dot dot. And then at the bottom of the page, the other bubble says, "And he is not happy." And it's just like what? <laughs> just yeah. glorious yeah. moments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Everything about that yeah. says epic. Yeah. Uh, it was very and, much. Um, oh, that's that's also the one where the Enchantress and Thor have their kind of tete a tete. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Where where they they kind of come to an agreement and uh, they run off a to lot make, of changes. They run off to make out for a little while. Yeah, like, eh, like beneath eh. all of these petty mortals. What do you say? Yeah, like, we just eh. go off and hang out for a while. Let's go make out. That's uh, oh, that, uh, that's also where, to, as as a as a reader, that's also where um, you get to see Magneto leading the X Men <clears throat> uh, for a little bit. Yeah, it yeah. sets up yeah. the eventual where he's going to yeah. wind up being the and oh, and Xavier can walk during that because in order yeah. to make sure that he could go to the secret wars the writers had um uh di- writers did a callback the writers did a callback um to from all right so i don't want to get super nerdy here from <laughs> when <laughs> xavier late. was regenerated after he became a brood um brood queen and could walk but his brain wasn't ready to so in the episode before secret wars he's shooting hoops in the gym and can walk now because they need him to be able to walk when they get to Battle World. Because it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah. By the way, um, the the YouTube channel I was thinking of was Toy Galaxy. Um, ah, yes, Toy, Toy Galaxy. Toy Galaxy is a fantastic YouTube channel that has um all of these like history of toys. Um, so like if you ever want to see like the history of mask or history of whatever, but they have a whole thing on the history of the Secret Wars toys. Cool. And like why they're kind of messed up compared to the um comic <laughs> book. Anyway. Who? Second question, please. 
All right. So now we've talked about our favorite epic to read. What's your favorite epic that you've either played in or epic that you've GM'd? Of course, we've talked about this before, but as far as playing in epic campaigns and role-playing, I got to go Iron Heroes. It was um, right out of the gate. It was designed to be epic. Um, and and it, was, it was supposed to be, if I recall correctly, it was kind of like a filler game when it started, wasn't it, Phil? We were like, oh, let's, let's try out this Iron Heroes and see how it works. Uh, yeah. Because I, I remember yeah, us going I mean, it, like, the well, first, the, the first couple episodes kind of bounce around a little, like the first couple of sessions. And then it kind of, yeah. it, like after the first story arc, we were like, we were on a roll. Yeah. But when we started talking about what kind of characters we might want to play. And one of the players started off and said, I want to be like a, like an Aragorn. Like I want to be like the heir to the throne of something and like, you know, kind of be out looking for, you know, ways to, to, to basically regain the, the kingdom or whatever, or prove my, prove my line and things like that. And I was like, well, that's kind of ambitious. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So just for giggles, I was like, all right, I want my character to be, you know, um, to be this, this kind of enigmatic figure um, who theoretically, according to most people, his mother had never known the touch of a man. So it was kind of like this miraculous birth. And I was and like, I was well, like, I'll roll with that, cheek. please. Yeah. I was like half serious. I was like, ha, 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 you know? <laughs> and Phil's like, all right, <laughs> you're on. There we go. That was, that was, that was how Bob became fantasy Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I still argue that Jesus is the wrong analog, but. <laughs> it, it gets, probably is the wrong the general analog, point across so actually i think i think i've said it different times i think you were more at times more moses than jesus but moses would have um, been a more accurate one for part of the campaign andy andy will be all over us later i'm i'm i, I literally <laughs> hear the ice cracking as i'm saying this like we have got to watch our step andy uh-huh. fox will be on us in two seconds about this yeah okay um uh, i i i don't disagree with you that was yeah. um it's actually the biggest epic I've ever run. Yeah. And like um, we said, in fact, we've, we've talked about it ad nauseum on other uh, episodes before. So I don't know if I've ever run an epic of that scale ever again. Um, and and just for people's recollection, we played that game um, third level through 18th level. Yes. Um, that was uh, what you call it. That was it was I thought we were going to get to 20, but we actually ran out of story before we got to 20. Um, so we really, we, and we started at third level cause I can't stand first and second level. So, um, it did quite good. It was good. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick a smaller Epic, but it was definitely an Epic story arc that I did, um, for Connex, which was the summer of the grays. Um, it's a, um, having read the gray source book and understanding that the grays were out to destroy the earth because the earth was psychically poisoning their homeworld. Um, I did a whole summer campaign, um, because I think we played weekly back in those days. I did a whole campaign for a summer um, all about an elaborate plot of the Greys um, attempting to psychically pull a comet to hit the Earth and create an, ex- an extinction-level event. And that was their finale. They started with a attempting to release a grain blight into the middle of the U.S. to destroy the wheat, um, to destroy the wheat supply of the U.S., and like escalated from there. Uh, Bob, by the way, that's the um, the grain blight is the story that you love to tell where I called the train company. Yep. 
to ask them how long it would take to ship a train, a container from uh, uh, what you call it from LA to Chicago, a call that today would probably get me on a watch list. Um, but in the nineties, in the nineties worked out perfectly fine that I just made this call and asked a bunch of random questions about how long, how much would it cost and how long would it take to move a chemical tanker across the U S <laughs> and somebody answered my question for me pre nine 11, of course. Yeah. Um, but that one ended with a big battle. Once the players had discovered what was happening, they let an all out assault onto I'm hearing me. Yeah, I'm too. You're hearing me. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing you. Okay, it went away. Nope, it nope, didn't. That's back. Is it for me too? No, just fell. Okay. There we go. Anyway, Jerry. All right, mine you? would be uh, the Magelands campaign. This is the campaign I've talked about a couple of times. Um, it was a 3035 campaign um, where the players had to stop the big bad before they could come out of their evil tomb. And. That was a it was an epic start because we gave them the first couple adventures were just kind of them exploring the world and getting to know the Magelands. And then um, which was a bunch of cities where each city was run by a different magical faction. Um, And then they kind of found the initial story arc that explained what was coming. And then the minions of the villain showed up and did horrible things. And so now they had to be on a quest to find a bunch of stuff to stop the villain. And if they could get to the villain before they completely broke out of their tomb, the villain would be weak enough that they could defeat them. Um, and I plan on this being like a, like a first level to like 12th level adventure. Um, that is also famous though, because that is one where partway through the adventure, I had a, um, can you, can you hear me now? Senda? Can, can you guys hear me? I, I hear you fine. Okay. Did we break? Senda says I look very animated, but I, she has no idea what I'm saying. Oh, now we're all gone. Oh, hold on. Uh, I don't think it's us. Okay. Uh, anyway, we're going to need to keep talking okay, because sure. we're going to need to keep the audio okay. going. So I'll keep this going then. So what ended up, this is the one that I've talked about where the players encountered a beholder and the entire party TPK'd. Yes. And so, and so now the bad guy was loose. So the next campaign, I did what you did, Phil. I started the party out at like fifth level and the new party coming in, had to create their big, um, had to create some backstories and did a really good job using uh, Janelle Jackway's central casting to roll some backstories and then tie them all together to fit in. But then we had to do the campaign of what happens if the bad guy's already loose. And by the time they came out, two of the seven mage lands were already lost. By the time the, the story, we start off the story like six months later and this new group of heroes has risen up because the evil one was already out. And so that changed the entire scope of the campaign. It was still epic, but now it was a quest to still find the things that could stop the bad guy, but they were going to have to be a little tougher. And that adventure went to level 19. Um, But it was just, it was a lot, it was a fun epic to play. And I did not plan for what happens if the players don't succeed in time and had to kind of make it up on the fly and taught me a lot about, about running big epic campaigns. That went for like three and a half years. That's the one where I had... When the campaign started, there were 16 players. Um, oh, I, and I, it was, well, 3-0 three, had just, just come out. I was doing some demos at the store. I told everybody, anybody who comes in oh, with a character yeah, yeah, yeah. can come and play. I did not expect to get more than like four people and all 16 showed up. After five weeks, we got down to 10. And there were 10 players when the TPK occurred and eight of them came back for the rest of the campaign. 
So I mean, that's one way uh, to get the numbers down. <laughs> so anyway, but that that that's how it goes. Though is it was a lot of fun and taught me to have that backup plan for what happens if the players feel fell because they wanted to keep going and see what happened next. So we just had them had new players come in or new characters. Yeah. So all right. All right, I'm going to pick up question three. Bob's doing some troubleshooting on our audio. Can you guys um, hear me? To, uh, we can, we hear, can you? hear you fine. I think the Zoom is intact. I think it's OBS. That's uh, I, th- I think OBS is back now. <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay. We've got sound. Uh, I don't know why the, the, the output to my ear hole affected everything, but it did apparently. So You changed the magic configuration, and then we went on with the show. Like, <sighs> All right, well, question three. What is your biggest challenge in running or playing in an epic? Yeah, I, I, we talked about this. Um, we talked about this under the pitfalls, right? It's the pacing. It's all about keeping the tension and it's keeping enough tension to keep everybody focused, but not too much tension to burn people out and not too much tension that you can't get um, some side arcs, like side quests or secondary arcs and things like that. Um, into it. If you turn up the tension too high, players won't want to do anything else. Um, you know, there was this constant thing. I remember doing this for um, for Iron Heroes of kind of having to um, modulate, like like you know, and you got to take these beat breaks when you're, especially when you're doing like a multi year campaign, where you know there were smaller adventures, um, mm-hmm. there were smaller things that happened. It wasn't always the fate of the universe, um, the fate of the planet, or whatever um at hand like it got like from time to time it was small so um but at the same time if it gets too light the players start wandering off they forget what like the goal of the campaign is so yeah uh it very much like just a lot of work going into that 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 tension keeping the right tension the pacing and things like that you got to let them you got to let them breathe then you got to hit them again mm-hmm. um you know like let them do a good thing let them catch their breath let them enjoy the, you know, the, um, their success, then bam, something bad has to happen. Another inciting incident to kind of get things moving again. Um, so yeah, I think it's not that I think pacing is impossible. I think when you're running, uh, when you're running something like this, it's just a thing that's on your mind a lot to just kind of make sure that you've got the tension dialed correctly at different parts. How about you, Jer? Uh, in a similar vein, keeping the game fun and interesting for the long haul, and how to set up the epic so that the heroes do have time for side quests. Um, when I ran the Magelands campaign, especially the second time around, the players um, didn't have quite as much of a time restraint because the bad guy was already out. So we did have some t- side quests. So we would do some story-based games and some tension as the villain was involved, and then gave them time for side quests. Um, one of the players romanced one of the local nobles, and so there was a whole wedding and coronation side story that we did. Um, we did another one where the players ended up um, meeting a, a, a dog that was a ghost and decided to go help that dog settle its settle its things, which involved another player falling in love and using love to challenge the gods, um, which had nothing to do with the main campaign story arc. It was just something that, that had to do with the um, backstory of the world. Um, so, But kept them... After each one, they then got back into the main storyline. They got done with that and found out that since they were gone, this happened or this this minion. Because I had the villain had multiple um, minions of their own, plus had been manipulating some of the other powers in the world so that the players had um, a couple of different 
low-level villains to deal with along the way that allowed them to face different like ladders of, of evil until they got up to the big bad. And that was pacing, but also knowing that they liked to do, they liked this play, this group liked to role play their downtime. And so I had to give them time for downtime occasionally to recover, learn spells, that kind of stuff. Um, and also pursue romantic interests and their own backstories and tying them back in. So it took a lot of, there were a lot of moving parts in that game, but that was part of what made, what made it fun was you have to plan for that. You know, I've got this big story coming up that I want to do for the next story arc. That's going to have this main story like resolution. What am I going to do next? Instead of just dropping them into the next phase, what am I going to do to give them a little bit of time to not be at the next world ending problem, you know, and what have they done in the last adventure? You know, Hey, they just made friends with um, the lesser goddess of reptiles. And now the party wants to go see what happens when they go talk to the lizards in the area. Great. That's an adventure they can go do. What happens along the way? What, what, what would threaten the lizards of the swamp that they want the players to help them with? You know, nothing major, but it's a fun little side quest. And they really like talking to frogs and stuff like that. As, 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 it's just, that's when you've got a group that likes to do stuff like that, you play on it, you know? Um, yeah. Once I knew that they, once, once the whole dog thing was supposed to be just a, a, a personal interest, they're like, oh, what would cause this dog to be a ghost? What happened? We want to go find out and lay this dog's spirit to rest. Well, that becomes a whole campaign in and of itself or the, a whole story in and of itself. They had a great time with that. Um, and that's when you just make the dog, you know, have passed on in a place that I wanted them to go. And they went there and did some stuff um, and have a good time with it. So cool. anyway, that was my biggest challenge, Bob. Yeah, I'm, I've been racking my brain on this one, um, and I, I can't really think of, of anything super interesting. Um, I mean, probably as a player, um, you want to you wanna maintain um, control over the anticipation. Like, you know this is an epic campaign, and you know you've got these epic things that are coming, but you also have to pace it with some, some lower beats and some, some mm -hmm. filler so you know you have to you have to go along with those and not be like like ah you know like I want the big you know <laughs> I want the epic thing to happen. Um, so that would probably be uh, be something to work on uh, from a player perspective to just try and go with the with the beat flow and not not get too excited about the epic parts because you have to you have to have you have to have beats. Yeah, it's that, you know, rush, like, I want to go get this thing done. Like, it, it's not mm -hmm. a thing that's meant to be done. Like, we're not getting, like, we're not doing this in yeah. two sessions. Exactly. All right. All right. Cool. Well, that's our look at the Epic Framework. Yeah, we hope the next time that you want to run an Epic, you want to put the world in jeopardy, want to threaten the multiverse, uh, we hope that some of this advice will help you out. All right, we're going to check in one more time with the chat room before we hit the conversation corner. Um, not uh, not not a, a ton of uh, activity other than wondering why the hell the sound went out. <laughs> yep, these things happen live radio, folks. <laughs> yep, live live recording and stuff. Uh, something's just, bound to go boop at some point. We just so. get, we get, the show must go on. Kind <laughs> the of. The good thing. news is that it came back quickly. So there we go. We won't. Uh, we won't. Uh, do Tom's get me. <laughs> get them back get them back i just knocked out the a in their av we got about 30 bob's seconds our, to bob's our comms officer <laughs> mm -hmm. for christmas right. i'm gonna get you the big ohora 
thing to stick in your <laughs> ear. I've actually got a new set uh, on Kickstarter that I backed that uh, are like over the ear. For people that have problem with buds staying in their ears, they hang Ooh. over the ear and just kind of fit. They don't, mm. they don't go in. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting those, but that'll be like six to nine months because of, you know, worldwide, you know. Tell me how those work out because I have the same problem you do. I can't wear earbuds. They fall out all the yeah. time. I've got unusually fake ears. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do the thing where we hit the conversation corner then. Okay. Boing, 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 boing. All right. So uh, as I stated in the opening, uh, I'm working my way through community. I'm deep into season three now. Um, mm-hmm. I like how they um, they change it up every season with like, oh, this is a new year, a new school year. Um, what class are we all going to take together so that we can all, you know, maintain our study group status and, and hang out together and stuff. And um, I'm also thinking it's community college. Theoretically, you should be in and out of there in four years, max. <laughs> and there's seven seasons, I think. They address so, that. So I'm sure that's going to get interesting. We're going to get into Peter Parker aging. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Um, the first episode of Star Trek, the first technically the first two episodes, they're merged together into one big episode of 42 minutes long uh, of Star Trek Prodigy, which started out with a with a pretty good uh, episode. Um, very much looking forward to seeing where this thing goes. Excuse me. They've, uh, they've hinted a lot about um, time and place. Um, you're not 100% sure when this is actually happening. It's definitely post-Voyager because Janeway is a hologram now. Um, and definitely happening in a Delta Quadrant. There's a Kazon in the first episode and some other stuff. Um, but They actually not, mentioned the Delta Quadrant yeah. in the show. You're they me- a- they mentioned the Delta Quadrant, and there's also a reference to um, uh, to a Voyager episode. Yep. So it's 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 still a little ambiguous about where and when, but um, and the ship is pretty cool. Um, uh, the Proto Star. The Proto Star. It's small. It's not it as big small. as you think yeah. it is. It's a yeah. small ship. Um, I think they said crew. They said I think they estimated like a crew of twenty, right, to yeah. run it. Yeah, which yeah. which is tiny. Which is tiny. That's, that's, like the, so that's like that's like defiant or smaller. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, looking forward to the next episode uh, this week. Um, we played NBA over the weekend, which again, uh, working our uh, working our heist and putting things up on the on the virtual whiteboard that we've got online. Um, that, that, got, that that's Knights Black Agents, not National Basketball. Yes, Knights so. Black Agents. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So that's a good time. Um, been chugging along playing Minecraft. Uh, been bouncing around between doing some more exploration and doing things at my base. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, doing that, uh, looking forward honestly to jumping back into Valheim at some point and 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 going and running for my life against some trolls again. Yeah, I thought you guys were going to pick like a night or something. We so are. We were, uh, we, we, we were going to, but the last two weeks have been very very hectic for me. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. I've, I've been working to like. Uh, last week I was working for like six or seven every night. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. I got, I got to the podcast like half an hour before we started. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, um, it's better now. So yeah. Glad. So that'll be a thing. Um, yeah. Yep. And then, um, Oh, there was something else that I had thought of earlier that I hadn't put in here, but I don't remember it. So nothing moving on. That'll be enough for okay. me. Jerry. Um, I'll start with uh nice black agents was a lot of fun. I love this game. I love the players. 
I'm enjoying it. Uh, as a tie-on to, to Bob's comment, however, um, if the actual like NBA basketball league had weekly heists, I would be really excited about it and actually watch more basketball. Um, no. Um, this week, I started catching up on Succession on HBO. Um, I love that show. It is a dark show about uh, corporate politics. And um, they just started season three, and it's backstabbing us and some amazing actors. Um, if you like Godfather-like stories, uh, the Succession has been excellent. Um, speaking of Godfather, I also watched the Saints of New Jersey, the Sopranos movie prequel, um, which was interesting. Uh, not sure I actually learned much from it, but it was still interesting. Uh, I enjoyed Prodigy. I think Bob covered all of it. Um, I liked all the characters, thought it was really good. Um, Minecraft, I've just been exploring, and uh, I would like to sit down and set up a Valheim night as well. Um, played some Lego, uh, got some got some new little sets built, uh, little cars and such that really kind of helped. Last week being hectic at work and very exhausting, coming home at night, sitting down, putting something on TV and just building a small Lego set really helped to kind of level me out and help me sleep at night and everything else like that, because it really calms me and eases me. Um, and the last two things I did, I watched Spiral, which is the new Saw movie with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, it was a good return to the theme of Saw that focused more on the storytelling than just the, the gore. There's, there's plenty of gore next to the Saw movie. But the director, who also directed a couple of the Saw movies and directed Repo, the genetic opera, if you're familiar with that, um, did a good job. And Chris Rock is amazing. It's just a very good movie if you like those kind of graphic body visceral stories and also like a good detective story spiral was a lot of fun and uh lastly after the recommendation of friend of the show glenn seiler i decided to watch fear street on netflix which is a three movie trilogy um that turned out to be much much better than i expected um really good characters um for those who like diversity the main character is a uh lgbtq uh woman of color person of color and it's got teenagers that are both acting like teenagers but also making logical like assumptions you don't have a lot of um the main characters don't do a lot of like stupid horror movie tropes um once once the the killing starts and it's got a really good backstory basically there are two towns side by side one is an almost perfect town where everybody that lives there loves being there. The other town is the murder capital of the world. They have serial killers every couple of years that just murder lots of people. And there's a reason for this, and that's the plot of all three movies. And the first movie is 1994. It ends with the characters realizing that in order to figure out what's happening, they have to talk to somebody who survived the massacre of 1978. And I'm assuming in 1978, they're going to discover how to, what happened back in the 1600s when the whole thing started. But um, the first movie, I'm about halfway through the second. It's got some really good horror tropes in it. Um, not all the characters that, some of the protagonists die, which was surprising because some of the ones that died, I didn't expect to die. And in some for a, for a movie based on the books by R.L. Stein of the Goosebumps storyline, um, some of the deaths are creatively graphic. Um, not super gory, not lots of like, here's somebody walking out their entrails coming out. But some of the death scenes, I'm like, that was, I've never seen death by that before kind of thing. Um, and it's fun. If you like horror movies or you like horror tropes or you like things like Scream, I would strongly recommend watching Fear Street. Um, I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10 for, for 
horror and storytelling, which is really good. Um, so, all right, that, that's what I had good time with uh, horror movies and Legos and role playing games. So, Phil. All right, I'm going to hit a couple of things that you guys all hit. So, I'm not going to talk about those. Prodigy, I watched as well. Uh, I ran Knights Black Agents. I'm also enjoying that game immensely. So, that was a lot of fun. Um, I wound up not getting to play a lot of um, Minecraft last week when I was sick. So, I got finally got back into the game um, the other night. And uh, I'm like way behind everyone else. My house is this weird ramshackle thing. And um, I'm going to do some resource gathering so that I can build something um, fairly grand and epic, I think, um, as well as kind of upgrade my power systems and things like that. Um, I decided to finally, after taking a week off because I was so traumatized from, um, from one episode, I finished Squid Game um, again. I don't think everyone needs to watch this uh, no. this movie or this series, but I finished it. I'm happy I finished it. I liked the way it ended. Um, it had a twist. I, um, I a twist surprisingly I did not see coming. I, I, I'm, I, there were two twists. One I totally saw coming. One I did not see coming. Um, I was pleasantly surprised, and it wraps up in a nice way, and it wraps up in a way that'll lead to. Um, that could lead to a um, to a sequel, like logically lead to a sequel, um, but still pretty dark. Like you really got to like you got to like the you got to like I shouldn't say dark grim. <laughs> you really got to like grim stories to um, uh, to 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 really even get into this. So it's not again, not for everybody, but I, I'm glad I finished it um, as a as a uh, change of pace. Um, I've been watching The Good Place um, and that is delightful. Um, that I'm into season three of the good place. That is actually quite good. There's only four seasons of it. So I suspect I've got another couple of weeks before I polish that off. Um, but that's a lot of fun. Uh, and that's a very different, um, it's a much cheerier, um, thing. And that's an NBC, um, sitcom, 22 minute sitcom, but it's, it, it's actually quite good. Um, and, and pretty funny. I, I actually think Andy Fox might enjoy it. Like it, it's got some, um, it's got some metaphysical stuff that's that's pretty uh, pretty entertaining. Um, I read a couple of game books. Um, we are switching up games once again in one of my Sunday night game groups, which is fine. Um, I'm never beholden to any one game, and I really want people to just have fun. Um, and uh, after some deliberation, um, we wound up with Hearts of Wu Lin. Um, I was kind of surprised that that's the one we picked, but I'm elated because um, I have been wanting to run Hearts of Wu Lin. Plus, um, it's like I need an excuse to go watch Wuxia um, <laughs> movies. And then on top of that, I was like, because, you know, when I get ready for a new uh, game and especially one, if we're playing a PBTA game, genre is huge, hugely important. I was like, oh, yes, there's something else I can binge um, in order to prepare for this. Our own network's uh, show, Zhang Hu Hustle. So, I mean, how better? In fact, I believe they actually helped write one of the chapters of the uh, of the game. Um, so how better to prepare than yeah. to just start listening to episodes of Shang Hu Hustle in preparation? So um, that's good. And then I'm actually I just I also polished off Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Um, I'm actually running a one on one game um, of that with Senda uh, on the weekends, just uh, like a shortened game because it'll be one on one. So I don't think we you know we don't need nearly the amount of time. Uh, to play it, but um, we're going to try it out. I know Bob and Jerry will know what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to use Thirsty Sword Lesbians, but for the setting, 
um, we're actually going to adapt um, Long Live the Queen. Oh, oh into a thirsty into a thirsty sword lesbian uh, setting, which I think I'd be down for that one, too. So I think will work wonderfully. Mm-hmm. So um, actually going to work on that later this week to make up the setting, like the write up for the setting. But yeah, so I, I, I um, quickly like over the weekend binged Thirsty Sword Lesbians and then dove right into Hearts of Wu Lin. Uh, both are excellent. Um, both are pretty straightforward PBTA games. Like there's no um, there's no weird um, like extra stuff with them. Like it's pretty straightforward. I really like um, I really like heart, the mechanics in Hearts of Wu Lin. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, I'm I will be very curious when we get it to the table. Um, when we get into duels and stuff, because duels are like one role, like it's not a, um, it's not a big back and forth attrition thing. Like duels are very much like you describe them, make a role, figure out what happens kind of thing. Nice. But I'm, um, you know, I'm about to go binge a whole bunch of wuxia. So, um, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> uh, and like I said, at the top, I've been playing uh, my, on PlayStation, I've been playing, horizon zero dawn which is chef's kiss so good uh and literally shocked that someone hasn't tried to pick up a license and make a game out of this uh this setting yet um this setting's very evocative um i i I don't even understand i like i'm so early on in this game i don't even understand what's actually happened to the world but just looking at it i'm like oh i so i so want to know um i so want to know the backstory to this whole thing so um, it's keeping me very much engaged. I think that's basically what I've uh, basically what I've been doing. I think that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, so yeah, that's me. And that um, basically concludes the conversation corner um, right. and should set us up for heading into the patron shoutouts. There we go. <clears throat> Thank you very, very much to patrons Alice Kira, Austin Lemke, Chris Mead, Craig Duffy, Dan Simons, David Walker, friend of the show Drew Smith, our table buddy Glenn Seiler, Jason Pitt, and Gene Lorbear. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight and those that joined us live in the chat room. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you can't make some live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. And along the way, take a listen to some of our other shows in the Mr. and Mark Network, such as There is Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone and Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, The aforementioned Zhang Hu Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and of course, all the back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. After you have ventured to pick up all the components to build the artifact to thwart the opening of the gate to the demi-realm of pain. And before you pop in to stop the obsidian dragon and could possibly get killed, quick, send us some feedback. You can reach us directly via email at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show, the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander, and I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are all at patreon.com slash MMP. 
Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Hustle, and bonus experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, and the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Buck production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.